Welcome and thank you for listening. This is the Spacecast, Space Fifth Book Space. Yes, it is. Yeah. Episode ten. Woohoo! Oh, we made it. The Decasode. We've done it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. As it has always been and always will be for all time and into the eternities, I am your host, Somerset Winters Thoreau. Joining me today are Brock Polson. Hello. And Dan Thorot. It's Thoreau. Oh, okay. Now. <laughs> Where did they? <clears throat> today we are discussing... I like to try new things. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are discussing The Collapsing Empire, The Interdependency, Book 1, by John Scalzi. One of 24, I understand. I think it's just oh. going to be a trilogy. It was going to be, but it was going to be two, then now it's three, and so we have yet to see. I believe I read a three-star review that said he claimed it was going to be ten books. What? Yes. Come and help us. It may be in the cover. Like his writer notes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Looking to make a buck. Well, I mean, or for, something. Me, for me, really, it's just a, a one-book series. Right? <laughs> <laughs> is yeah, that, it just is, might be. Is that a spoiler of <laughs> how I Kay. felt about this book? <laughs> All right. But here's a fun fact. As I was looking this up, according to Google, 97% liked this book. Who decided to vote thumbs up or thumbs down on, you know, in Google metrics or whatever? Well, no one asked me. I know. Yeah. Okay. You've, you Google did enough. Yeah. I guess so. Brock, how about some wrong spoilers? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, some alternate titles were, I bet you didn't know that, some alternate titles were considered Ooh. for this book. I bet they were. Uh, the first one, uh, simple, concise, uh, to the point, it was just called Effing Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> Was it effing or was it? Well, was it the f bomb? I don't have a dumpster mouth, so yeah. all right, fill in the blanks as you see I'm, fit. I'm gonna have to edit some of my uh, my synopsis actually. <laughs> I have to take out some of the dumpster mouthness so I don't disappoint Brock. Well, it's not coming out of my mouth. Uh, and then the other alternate title that was considered uh, was the Grayland Emperox. <laughs> <laughs> so the third okay. book is supposed to be called uh, The Last Emperox. Oh, good. <laughs> but that just makes me laugh. It's such a dumb title. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, did you know a longer grapefruit virus scene was written and ultimately cut, but it will appear in the Blu-ray special feature. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The They're editor's cut. Yeah, the yeah. director's cut. Exactly. Get all those juicy deets. I, real, I really wanted more of that. That was a pun. Juicy deets. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Hot dang. Every spaceship <laughs> in the collapsing empire is shaped like a middle finger. <laughs> and, and every space station is shaped like Jim Carrey doing that talking with his butt thing from Ace Ventura. <laughs> Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> this, book, this book is irreverent. <laughs> Yikes. Did you did you come up with that one specifically because one of the blurbs said that this book was irreverent? I think you mentioned it being it being described as irreverent. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I kept waiting for it. 
Right. So when is when does it get irreverent? Yeah, what's what's going to get irreverent about it? Well, <laughs> I'm about to tell you what what was irreverent. Uh, but first, uh, the physics of the flow, with its shifting shoals, discrete exits and entrances, and tendency to bend time and matter are all based on real-world studies of how people navigate Ikea stores. <laughs> oh, so true. <laughs> and the final wrong spoiler, uh, John Scalzi insists that in every scene featuring Kiva, she is riding one of those hoverboards and wearing a t-shirt that says, Fart Squad. <laughs> Irreverent. Like a roller derby... Right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. I like. Thank those. you, Brock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Dan, would you now collapse and not size this book? Okay. <laughs> very good. Did you like that? I did. I came up with that one. <laughs> okay, um, very good. <laughs> so I want to, I want to apologize in advance to Brock and to Summer and to all of our listeners, all twenty three of you. Um, or two dash three two point three of you. <laughs> <laughs> now we have twenty three. Oh, is it twenty three? Yeah, it's 20. not like two point three. Nice. Um, well, that's woo! pretty good. I wrote this today. Okay. Slacker. So it's, it's not very good. <clears throat> oh, I thought you were going to apologize for it being packed with profanity. <laughs> you know, uh, should I be prepared to to uh, bleep some things? Yeah. So every time John Scalzi deployed his dumpster mouth. I entitled myself to do the same. But my thing is four pages to his, like, 300, so it's sure. real, it's rather dense. <laughs> so here we go. F, 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 F. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Whew. It is the far future. Aboard the ship, it's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. <laughs> And a mutiny is underway. <laughs> Captain Arulus Guineos has locked himself on the bridge. I along think it's with herself. Wasn't it a girl? What the shit are you doing? <laughs> what is? I, I I don't mean to uh, to pile on, but I think it was a woman. I'm not doing what, this. What you think? Men can't be space captains <laughs> in the far-flung, irreverent future. I am doing the... You can't interrupt like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was in the flow. Okay, but she's a Of woman. the flow. Find Cap a shoal. Okay. Captain Arulos Gineos has locked themselves... Oh. <laughs> I don't know. ...on the bridge alongside with the remainder of her loyal command staff while her exo, Ollie Inver, murders anyone loyal to Gineos and tries to cut through the door. Gineos engages in the usual discussion for a time like this. Do we have weapons? No. Can we blow open the airlocks? No. Are there, like, video cameras to report what happened? What camera? Don't be crazy. This isn't the future. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation is interrupted by Inver stepping onto the bridge and talking about his evil plan to pretend they're... To, to pretend to have their cargo stolen by pirates. Fortunately, his monologuing drags on long enough that the it's a little bit funny, this feeling inside, drops out of warp <laughs> speed. 
John Scalzi steps into the scene to explain that, hey this isn't warp speed at all. It's the flow in which eddies of space-time bend between planetary gravity wells to allow faster-than-light travel and have permitted humanity to construct an interstellar empire called the Interdependency. And yes, Scalzi acknowledges, that sounds more like a diagnosis than an empire. <laughs> the distance between planets is so vast that humans would cannibalize each other long before arrival. Mm. And now they're collapsing, so expect everyone to tear into each other like starving animals. John Scalzi kicks a baby and walks off stage. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the previous mutiny is forgotten. Everyone bands together to chase the receding flow shoal. They make it in and resume their warp speed to wherever they're going. Then the mutiny stuff picks up again, but I, I, it doesn't matter because we never find out about those people again. <laughs> right. <laughs> Instead of all that boring stuff, we switch to the much more exciting tale of a woman sitting at the bedside of a dying old man. <laughs> Her name is Cardenia Wu Patrick. She's the heir to the empire, which makes the dying dude the current emperor, head of the Church of the <laughs> Interdependency, Monopoly license grantor, Grand Poobah of the Associated Nations and Fuchsia Cushion Enterprises, and founder <laughs> of the Why Don't I Have More Security Society. <laughs> Daughter and father exposited each other for a while. Being in charge of the Empire is hard work. Her dead older half-brother should have been Emperor instead of her, yada, yada, yada. The old man falls asleep, and Nafa Dolg, Cardenia's best friend and personal secretary makes her sign important documents in a museum. <laughs> I would much rather read this than that really exciting mutiny scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's super yeah. cool. Yeah. She's like, man, this museum. <laughs> That's one of the lines of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I remember that one. It is. Man, this museum. <laughs> when at last the Emperor dies... Cardenia takes after Maya from the Goblin Emperor by picking a suitably foreshadowy royal name. <laughs> <laughs> she picks Greyland II, named after an emperor who was assassinated in a horrific and ex existentially painful manner. So that's a good choice. In her first act as emperor, Cardenia puts her college dating experience to use by dodging any suggestion that she marry some milquetoast loser from House Nohama Ding Dong. <laughs> I think that is the name, yeah. It's as close as I could get. She rides an elevator with her friend, Nafa Dolk, to address the crowd, but the balcony explodes and kills half the revelers, all of her security staff, and also Nafa. While Cardenia recovers in the hospital, she's informed that Nafa's was a closed fridge funeral. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere else. <laughs> I think that fridge joke was too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> that Napadol was fridge. Okay. Yeah. Somewhere else. Aboard the Saturday nights, all right for fighting, get a little action in. <laughs> Kiva Lagos is having boring sex with some random person we'll never see again. Her second officer, Brenner, walks in on them mid-coitus to say that something infinitely more interesting is happening with customs. 
Ouch, Kiva says and glances down at her paramour. He nods. She sighs. <laughs> she sighs and heads to deal with the customs thing. But Scalzi never tells us if she puts on clothes. It's <laughs> an important detail. It is. Their ship, which she owns but isn't the captain of, which kind of defeats the fun of owning a ship, is in orbit around End, the final destination of the Flow Network. The local duke is unsuccessfully fighting against a rebellion and has ordered that the Saturday nights all right for fight and get a little action ends cargo, a bunch of mutt fruit, cannot be sold there unless the big <laughs> house of Lagos gives him some money. Kiva makes quote-unquote smart talk with the customs agent by trying to bribe him, but he's weirdly prickly about exchanging favors for boring sex. <laughs> she meets with the Duke himself, she's still naked, but he won't budge. <laughs> no Fart Squad t-shirt, remember? No, nothing at all. <laughs> but the Duke doesn't budge, even when she offers to have boring sex with him too. <laughs> it seems Kiva only has seven days to figure out how to turn a profit on end. Exciting. Yeah, this, this is yeah. heavy stuff. I'm sure glad they interrupted the sex scene for that customs stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere on end, Mars Claremont gives a lecture about the interdependency to a field trip of eight-year-olds. He tells them about how humanity fled old Earth, that, that it's weird that certain ethnic groups still exist, and then goes on a tangent about how the entire concept of ethnicity is outdated because it's, it's fluid and ill-defined, uh, probably because there are so many criteria that feed into it, like geographical proximity, DNA heritage, philosophical heritage, intermarriage, uh, migration. A kid interrupts to ask if he can go pee right there in the auditorium. <laughs> <laughs> Since the kids aren't doing a good job of expositing, John Scalzi nudges one of the adult proctors to ask a few obvious questions that all adults would know. So Hub is where all the flow thingies converge? Yes. <laughs> Can't we make new flow funnels? No. End is at end? <laughs> that That's right. <laughs> and end is the only planet with a breathable, self-sustaining atmosphere, but we treat it like a prison planet despite its self-apparent, evident value? That, yes, that's correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Could the flow ever, say, collapse or vanish? Mars looks at us conspiratorially. <laughs> Surely not, he says. As the field trip is cut short by some rebels bombing the auditorium, Marsh thinks about how the flow is collapsing, just in case you hadn't been told five times already. <laughs> he walks outside and is picked up by his sister, who's apparently a badass. They go visit their dad, a wealthy count who was commissioned by the old emperor to study the flow, <laughs> and, and who is now ready to, to submit his report that the flow is indeed collapsing as the flow starts collapsing. Ah, the old hanging rock method of telling weather. <laughs> if it's wet, it's raining. <laughs> Dad tells Mars that he must go to the hub to let the Emperor know that when the hubs collapse, she can rest assured that she knew it a few days in advance. <laughs> Serendipitously, Kiva Lagos has decided to turn a profit by booking refugees on the Saturday nights all right for fighting, get a little action in. <laughs> Mars books a room and then gets kidnapped. It turns out that his kidnapper is Grenny Nohamadingdong, brother of the Nohamadingdong, trying to get into the Emperor's pants. They threaten Mars a bit, telling him that they need his dad's money. 
But Mars's sister walks in, kills everybody, and saves Mars. <laughs> it turns out that Kiva was the one who told Granny where Mars was, but also tattled to his sister, and now lets him book a room on her ship, plus a hazard fee, in case she decides to tell somebody else about it. <laughs> <laughs> he heads for the space ferry, and learns that Kiva has rechristened her ship, the, and I think it's going to be a long, long time, till Touchdown brings me around again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. <laughs> for brevity's sake. <laughs> They take off and head for the flow shoal. But watch out! On the way, they're intercepted by a pirate ship. The <gasps> Nans Inganya Mabag Iti Baba. What? <laughs> what song is that? I assume it's, it's lyrics. Nans Inganya Mabag Iti Baba. Oh, Lion King. I got gotcha. that's, that's really... That's oh. nice. Because Lion good, King's yeah. coming out soon. Yes, they demand... Timely. Yeah, the crew of the <laughs> Nansinganya Mabagirababa demand they hand over Mars. <laughs> Is that really the name of that song? Kiva and Mars exchange some witty Joss Whedon-esque dialogue. She promises she won't hand him over to the pirates, but after booby-trapping a shuttle in a pretty obvious ploy that somehow still blows up the pirate ship, she reveals that her backup plan was to hand him over anyway in case her improbable plan didn't pan out. <laughs> Oh, well, no harm, no foul. They escape into the flow and have boring sex for the nine months it takes to reach Hub. <laughs> In a 100-page flashback, <laughs> Granny Nohama Ding Dong is having a bad day. Because even though we're supposed to think of his family as scary and threatening, he's failed at literally everything he's done both during and before the book. His secret rebellion and takeover event has failed. His fake friendship with the Duke has failed. His allegiance with the big house of Lagos has failed. His kidnapping of Mars Claremont failed, and then his kidnapping of Mars Claremont again failed. <laughs> and he's literally the only living named character who hasn't had boring sex with Kiva. <laughs> Recently. Ow! <laughs> but where planning didn't work, improvisation does. He walks into the Duke's house, shoots him in the face, and tells the Imperial Marines that it was Count Claremont totally who did it. The Marines accept him at his word and crown him the new Duke. <laughs> so, planning is no good. Right. Back on Hum, <laughs> there are yeah. so many stupid names in it. <laughs> Back on Hub, Emperoops Cardenia <laughs> has been exploring the memory chamber where the digital consciousnesses of previous Emperoopsies are stored. <laughs> she gets to ask the important questions, finally revealing some critical exposition. First, her father tells her that he always thought she'd be a shit Emperoops. <laughs> Then the founder of the interdependency reveals that there's nothing interdependent about it. <laughs> Lastly, the great priestess, Emperoop's tiny dancer the first, reveals <laughs> that all of the holy names that they named their ships after were plagiarized from a single pop writer from Old Earth. Cardania asks, Elton who? <laughs> <laughs> She's interrupted by Mars Claremont, who tells her that the flow is collapsing, and that the, the Nohama ding-dongs are actually bad guys. <laughs> Cardenia is shocked, shocked. But still she goes on an intimate date with what's-his-name Nohama ding-dong aboard their new ship, the Jesus he wants to go to Venus. 
She asks him outright if his family is trying to take over the empire. Unlike everyone else in this book, what's his name, Nohama Ding Dong, folds like a brochure and exposits that, yeah, his family kind of sucks. <laughs> They're interrupted by a kamikaze attack from an immigrant who plows a shuttle into the Jesus he wants to go to Venus. The Nehama Ding Dong guy gets exploded, and Cardenia is nearly killed for the second time. As she blacks out, she tries to remember to hire an actual security force. <laughs> <laughs> the blame for this assassination attempt is briefly pinned on Kiva Lagos for some reason. She's assigned a bodyguard slash detective who she has boring sex with. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, they go to a hotel where they learned that the immigrant suicide bombers were working for the Nohama Ding Dongs. Surprise, one more triumph for the Machiavellian master planners. They're so scary. <laughs> In a meeting with the Imperial Council, Mars and Cardenia ambush Nadash Nohama Ding Dong, the most conniving of all Nohama Ding Dongs. <laughs> by revealing that they figured out her evil plans... Nadash Nohama Ding Dong responds by pressing a button that orders 400 million secret marines to go through the flow and conquer end. Which will be the only place that matters when the flow collapses. <laughs> Cardenia turns to Mars and asks, Did you turn on that signal jammer like I asked? <laughs> he pretends he didn't hear the question. <laughs> Later, as Kiva Lagos has boring sex off screen... Emperor Hogg, Cardenia, and Mars Claremont talk about the future of the interdependency. John Scalzi nudges Cardenia and hands her a slip of paper. She looks at it with a scrunched-up, confused face and reads, Just as the interdependency began with a lie, so too shall we save it with a... What? What does that mean, Scalzi? The, the hell, a lie? Said anything about a lie? Like, that's there's a nice symmetry to that, but what am I... Like a lie. What am I supposed to... Scalzi cuts her off. The end. <laughs> oh, very good. Sorry. It wasn't that was as good one. as I wanted to make it. That was still, it was still pretty no, good. No, I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have some bad takes. I feel like they've already been highlighted in your synopsis, but I'll share them anyway. So wait, I highlighted some bad... I feel like my takes were really good. Yeah, I thought it was solid. Okay, <clears throat> this is the first one. It's titled, Meh, One Star. Great if you like strong language without pause or meaningful context. How's the review? Um, are we supposed to comment? I don't know. That was it. We, so, we don't have to comment. Oh, I want to comment. Well, then go ahead. So to me, this book was a series of conversations that every one of them was functionally identical <laughs> in which a competent person browbeat a less competent person into <laughs> right. revealing information. <laughs> and the book was like 10 of these in sequence. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And it gives me this sense that that's what John Scalzi, like that's his self-image. That, that, that he, he thinks he can. He's a good argument. He's good at rhetoric and yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, but not that anyone uses rhetoric. They just kind of like bluster and threaten. Sure. 
Hmm. Like, no one's like, you know, you shouldn't support the Nohama Ding Dongs. <laughs> Here are some reasons why. One, they failed at every plot, except for the plot where they push a button and send a bunch of Marines through a portal. Why did they need to be secretive? Right. If they, they can just that. do that. Yeah. Can't they just do it? Why did they wait? Anyway, <clears throat> if it takes like 10 months for something to get there. They're like, oh, and my troops are arriving right now instead of in 10 months. Well, no, that's they left then because it took like two seconds to get to the... They were like positioned 15 minutes away from the wormhole entrance. Mm. But like, I don't I Well, we'll get it. We'll get into it. Okay, <laughs> here's the next one. The next one is titled A Bad Joke, also one star. In spite of being described on its cover as an interstellar epic, this book is anything but. At best, it is a slim introduction to said epic, bound to go who knows how many volumes, at 13 or 14 bucks a pop for digital for a digital version you can't even lend to a friend. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I'd agree with that. Wait, wait, wait. Huh. So, aren't bad takes supposed to be takes we don't agree with? Like, I don't know, are they? <laughs> I, th- I thought they were. That was a bad takes about the book. What, yeah, what's the format? I don't even know. Like a five-star review that's like, do you know that book Dune? This is better than Dune. Because <laughs> yeah. I would love to see that take. I mean, I think I think uh, bad takes has evolved just as wrong spoilers has evolved. It's just become freeform. Like jazz. Yeah. Like jazz. Like jazz done by... Okay, well this one this one made me laugh. This is the this is the the one that made me laugh. This is from Goodreads by someone named Dustin Davis. Thanks, Dustin, for writing in. <coughs> to Goodreads. <laughs> the year is three thousand something or other, and tablets, phones, TSA security, customs forms, and citrus fruits all still exist. The heroes run around reacting to things and everything just always works out for them. And by the three-quarter mark, the main protagonists have thwarted all the villains' plans and are having sex with each other in space. <laughs> they, they are. Okay, and then this one, this made me laugh out loud. When one of the main protagonists is framed for murder, she solves the case herself by making a quick phone call, then checking the customs form of a recent immigrant to see what hotel he would be staying at. She then does that clever thing you've seen in movies where they go to the front desk person to call the room and she watches the buttons that are pressed to figure out the room number. When she goes to the room, there's a convenient note that the immigrant left explaining how he was forced to commit the murder by the antagonist. Case closed. Brilliant. Apparently in the year 3000, the front desk at the hotel still dials room numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah... <laughs> so, the, okay, here's here's where I think that take might be a little bad. Is so that one that you read us about how like the TSA still exists and all that. Yeah, I was kind of like, but they don't. Like, there's no security in this universe. If you want to assassinate the like, okay, let's say you wanted to assassinate a head of state right now. Do you know how hard that is? Like, they have dogs. They have like dogs that sniff for chemicals, mm-hmm. and they they have all sorts of. They sweep the buildings before the, they allow a dignitary to go in it. Mm-hmm. But apparently, you can just like almost assassinate the emperor twice, like willy nilly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
Was that was that ever uh, the explosion on the balcony? They never like, like it never got resolved. They, like I think, no, I think they said who. Well, they said it was N, how, N right? rebels. Oh right. Well, but, yeah, but they never really like proved anything. And why did anybody have access to that balcony? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, just like. Well, anyway. <clears throat> why are there balconies? It seems like a waste of space. Space well, is at a premium. So, like, like Scalzi clearly is not interested in describing how anything looks, mm-hmm. yeah, or developing any sense of like internal coherency to the fact that these are all space stations or like cave stations. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah. I I never knew what I was picturing. Mm-hmm. I just kind of pictured like this vague, like like the cheapest possible mid '90s sci-fi set <laughs> that could be rearranged to be anything. Mm-hmm. That, that's right. that's what I was picturing. Just because I, there was such an incongruence. Because when he talks about like a palace, and I'm picturing like a palace, mm-hmm. and then he reminds me, oh, this is underground. Yeah, and I'm going like, ah, what? Yeah. yeah at, at no point did I imagine this as underground. Yeah, it was pretty hard to put that into your head. Yeah. Without any descriptions. So, Brock, why don't you continue our, you know, continue the discussion here? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, if your city was under threat of violent rebel occupation, and a busload of eight-year-olds showed up at your work. Uh, what mundane thing would you teach them about instead of sending them all home? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so is John Scalzi there t- feeding them questions? <laughs> no. No, but they do have a surprisingly astute uh, teacher with them who feeds you uh, just the questions you need to answer. Yeah. Me, I'd choose spreadsheet functions. <laughs> I'd teach them about if statements and V lookups. <laughs> Here's a macro I wrote for importing demographic data from an outdated PDF format. Is that like text to columns? Is that something you do, Brock? Yeah, ninety <laughs> percent of my days. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was a, a little silly. Uh, so, okay, here, let me ask you a question about that. Do you feel like that was uh, Mars Claremont being silly, or do you think it was John Scalzi being silly? <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting question. Well, the uh, guy was supposedly a flow physicist specialist or something. So what else is he going to talk about? I do well, he, I do he could not buy... have a conversation with a bunch of eight-year-olds at a university that's under bombardment. I, to an extent, I think I buy a an enthusiastic expert getting caught up in uh, explaining something and not, uh, you know, not acknowledging a, uh, a well, I mean, a dang- I say a dangerous situation, but I think that's even pushing it a little far because I could see someone like, oh, we're going we're gonna to miss our reservation, but I want to teach these kids about the flow, but like we're going to get bombed to dust. (laughs) But I, but I need to teach these kids. 
<clears throat> yeah, that's a hard question. Yeah. What would I teach them? Yeah, what would you teach them about? Have you guys read any other John Scalzi? I've read Red Shirts. Yeah. I have not read any. So my relationship with John Scalzi is that I've read, I think, four of his books. Hmm. Um, and I really like Old Man's War. I think it's a genuinely good book. Um, and Red Shirts, I love the first half of it. Have you heard of Red Shirts, Brock? I have, yeah. So it's like um, it's like this very meta Star Wars, Star, Star Trek. Trek, Star Trek kind of thing. Yeah. Um, where where they're on a ship and all of their problems get solved within the span of like a syndicated episode. <laughs> um, and it, and the characters know that that shouldn't work. Um, like actually, when they're in trouble, they just put a thing in a box and yeah. like, it's going to ma- manufacture an antivirus <laughs> within 23 hours because we only have 24 hours to do it. <laughs> and the guy's like, "Wait, you solve all your problems this way on this weird starship? Why would? Why does that make sense?" And I'm like, "Ah, we don't know. We just like found it." <laughs> and, um, and it turns out that they're like they are a TV show, um, but the problem is the second half totally disappears up its own butt. It becomes super meta, and they end up like meeting the producers of their show mm-hmm. and having to go to L.A. to like persuade the people who write their show to write it better so they stop dying. <laughs> Interesting. And it ends with like this this terrible essay. Like written from all book characters to all writers, just like begging us writers basically to 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 do them the the diligence of we can kill them but make it worth it like imbue their lives with meaning <laughs> and it is just it is just such a wank like that whole <laughs> second half of the book and um, and then in this book. John Scalzi fridges one of his very few uh, good characters, who Nafadolk, who only exists to die. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't. To, to, I, well, to be to be first really likable and then to die. Yeah. And um, I. So so this is not on the spectrum of the Scalzi books that I've liked. Uh, it was very cute. I wanted I wanted to like this because I think it has cool, uh, you know, cool concepts. I think it's a. Um, I I actually really like the detail of there is only one habitable planet. Yeah. Uh, you know I think I think that's a a, a really neat uh, idea for, um, you know, for for a spacefaring future uh, that you know we really just have this and everywhere else we've had to. You know, dig into rock, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know there, it, it there really is that element of everyone depending on on everyone else. Um, I do I do like that. You know, there there are a lot of concepts I thought were had a lot of promise. Yeah, and I like the flow. Um, uh-huh. Sometimes, so so the way that Scalzi writes it too. There are sometimes I didn't even mind it, like um like in the uh, in the prologue when he just is like, all right, here's some context. And it's it's one hundred percent just John Scalzi talking to you, the reader. I actually yeah. I actually kind of appreciated how just blunt he was. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, reader, here I'm just going to explain it. I'm not even going to pretend it's people talking to each right, other. Let me, yeah. Let me get yeah, you off on the right foot funny. here. Um, I kind of liked that more than later when it was just so obvious that characters would be like, ah, so and so no hammer ding dong. 
you and I in college engaged in 40 copulations. <laughs> and, and it, it, as, as you know, as you recall. As you recall, though, those late nights of drinking and sexing. <laughs> and you were a real slime and I was a rascal. <laughs> I, I just... In your sister's apartment that I shared with her. She sure was conniving. <laughs> Is she still like that, the bitch? Like, that, that's how, like, the whole thing read to me. Is that it was just so cute and so twee. Yeah. Uh, man. It was like a Joss Whedon first draft before he uncutesified it. <laughs> uh Sorry to so, go off on that. It's just no, no. I th I think that's. Um, I mean, I I do. Th it sounds like maybe I liked it a little more than you. Um, Summer, which uh, which side are you leaning toward? Um... Keep in mind, this will affect our future friendship. <laughs> <laughs> just, kidding, just kidding. Um, I felt pretty neutral towards it. I uh, the villains never really felt like villains to me because it was like an inter you know something bad would happen and the villains would be like <laughs> but then like in two pages later it was like solved by the good guys yes <laughs> and it was like everything like every single thing and even from the very beginning where they were like well we've had a mathematician physicist cool scientist person working on this flow thing too but then, like, in the next sentence, but her math was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I guess we'll like see. So it's like you knew. Maybe she was right, for all I know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, okay, what's up with that kidnapping? Yeah. Like, why even uh, have it in the No, it book? was... It, it was just so... I, when he got kidnapped, I was like, oh, man, they're going like, to pull out his fingernails and crap. This is really going to suck for Mars. Nah. And then his sister's just like, oh, hey, hey, bro, I killed everyone. Yeah. I've been watching you. <laughs> I knew this. I figured this would happen, so... I'm the only badass on this planet. Yeah. So I killed yeah, everyone. Exactly. <laughs> this, this planet of mercenaries and rebels. Yeah, and this prison planet. Prison I planet. Am, which makes me... More effective than like John Wick. Prison planet with a, <laughs> prison planet with a university. I mean, it's still a functioning planet. Right? <laughs> Is it? Well, it portrays it that way. But it that's felt the like thing. there was like, like one continent, and it was actually pretty small. Because like, here's the university. Two miles down the road is the palace where the Duke is. <laughs> well, so can they even fit the interdependency on this dumb planet? It oh, seems yeah, absolutely it, se not. it seems small. Like when they describe mm -hmm. like the population of places, and they're like, "Yeah, there's like a million people here." <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that's t that's like nothing. <laughs> yeah, serious. It's like a block in well, like another, Bangkok. And other than just being told, <laughs> other than being, other than just being told that it was like this dumping ground for criminals and whoever else. You didn't really see any criminals and well, it's warlords. It's because the people like we hobnobbed with were like the <laughs> Count and what's his name, Nohama Payton. Ding dong. Yeah, yeah Nohama Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that fits better with the family, really. Okay, I will say this because I don't want to give the impression that I'm too negative. I love some of the concepts in this, and um, 
I would I would give it out of five. I would give it a two, which isn't a one. Right, it's not a one. <laughs> it's not a one. We've read some ones on this podcast. <laughs> we this was not. This was kind of in the middle. Yeah, I didn't hate okay. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't hate it I at all. It wasn't and it. I will say this for Scalzi, he's very popular. I think for a reason. He writes at this really uh, nice clip. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's never slow, um, except when he's really going on about like lectures. Um, right. but, but by and large, I think it's told fast. The characters they they say things, and I and I do wake up, and it's forty pages later, <laughs> right? <laughs> And the margins seemed really small in the book, probably to disguise <laughs> the fact that it had a really short word count for the page length. Sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was neutral toward it. I didn't hate it. Um, I just didn't like it either. Yeah. Well, so I, so I, when I finished it, I was like, well, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what they'll do next because they obviously can't stay where they are. And they're obviously going, they're all going to go to the planet. So what kind of space battles are going to occur in the flow or whatever? I might be interested in that. And then Dan told me how many books it was going to be. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I don't care. Well, I don't really know. I just. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I don't really want to know. I've I've heard conflicting things about that. So I don't really know. I will say I liked this enough to read the synopsis for the next book on Wikipedia. <laughs> See, there you go. Is it is it is it written? <laughs> yeah, it came out in October. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think for me. <laughs> oh, I can't sorry. See what happens? <laughs> we are spoiling this book. Oh, right. Okay, okay. We, we'll talk about that after. Well, we might not get to it. Okay, Brock. I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, I, yeah, I think for me this is a mystery that I'm okay uh, remaining unsolved. So even though you like, even though you liked the book more than not. Yeah, yeah, I think. I, so can you evaluate that for me? Why? So it, you're the most positive of the three of us. Um, why is it that you don't want to continue on with this very brisk, very uh, easy to read series? Space opera. Yeah, space uh, opera. A lot of it just comes down to bandwidth, like what what I can actually read, like what I have the capability of reading and the time, and, you know, and, and like, if I'm going to read, I mean, I guess if we do it for the podcast, yeah, I'll read it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But who will choose it? <laughs> right, exactly. Who's going to use their pick? Um, you know, I, I guess it didn't. It just didn't grab me enough. I think maybe I'm, you know, I'm along the same lines as like, you know, I'll check out the synopsis on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll look there if I if I if I really need to know. Um, but I, you know, I, and and I think maybe what I enjoyed about it isn't dependent on what happens next. Um, you know, because I, I talked about I like you know I like some of the concepts. I I do think John Scalzi's a, a talented writer. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I think there were there were times in, in in those sort of verbal sparring sessions when the dialogue really clicked and it um, you know it was really entertaining. And mm-hmm. would you say it sizzled? Um, I almost want to say it it simmered. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is actually not good for dialogue, probably. It's <laughs> that simmered. Sound, that makes it sound like there's a lot of, of meaningful pauses. And... It's simmered in its own juices. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, and, and none of that really compels me to, you know, to have to find out what happens next. See, uh, here, here's... Here's where I'm coming from. I feel like the setup is so good that if it were about three other characters, I might be totally on board. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I don't like the three characters mm-hmm. at all. I, I um, yeah. So, so the three are there's the starship owner, but she's not a captain, so she doesn't actually do fun captain stuff. Right. There's um, there's like a university nerd who I still don't know what his personality is. Um, no, he's very bland. Yeah, he's super bland. And and I liked the Emperox okay actually. Mm-hmm. I, I thought she was the she was yeah, the, the three. she was the best realized of the three. I wouldn't mind spending more time with her, especially because it seems like she'll have an arc mm-hmm. where she's going to turn into she's going to harden right. Like I right. I feel like that's pretty obvious. She's going to learn to have some metal mm-hmm. and beat her enemies instead of kind of being. And she'll probably hook up with the university professor. And or Kiva and Kiva. Yeah, and, yeah, and slash or. like why not. Um, <laughs> So like I like I liked her okay, and I kind of liked her talking to the former emperors. Like that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like the memory room thing. Yeah, I liked stuff. the memory chamber. Um, but but one of three is not that great mm-hmm. for three people who are supposed to carry a series. Yeah. Um, it's just <sighs> there's so much they could have done that would be so much cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, two of the three are just so boring. Yeah. Um, and Kiva's traits really are that she'll she'll bounce around on anything, mm-hmm. and she drops a lot of swears. Yeah. Fart squad. Um, <laughs> I think she's irreverent. I guess. <laughs> I guess. And I'll, okay. Uh, also, is this part of John Scalzi's like idealism that so when he says that this interdependency was founded on a lie? Aren't all governing apparatuses based in part on placating lies for the public? Like, it just seemed really optimistic for anyone to think that the interdependency was actually founded with, like, a prophetess who had everyone's best interests at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think there's always an element of how do we, you know, how do we stay in power? You know, what's, what's the, uh, what's the maximum exploitation that our people will, will put up with? Yeah. You know, and I I think that's not maybe as, as, uh, as much of a bombshell as he thinks it is. Mm -hmm. So I worry I cut you off, Brock. What were you going to say? Um. Yeah, I don't recall. Okay, I'm glad I killed <laughs> it. How, uh, it it bothered me that uh, Emperox, when they pluralized it, it wasn't with an es. I don't know. I don't know why that bothered me. But how did they pluralize it? Just with an s. Emperox. O x o x s. Emperox. Like. That's not. Is it pronounced Emperox or is it like an Emperosh? 
I wondered. I don't know. I always said X. I appreciated you just tossing in extra consonants <laughs> in your. I in like your the synopsis. I like the emperoopsies. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I I laughed when I wrote that. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this. Okay. Did this book remind you of the Goblin Emperor, and remind you how beautiful and great that book is? Yes. Yes and yes. Yeah. All right, good. Because sometimes, sometimes not in a great way. Um, yeah. I did like that I didn't have to memorize, like, Dak Boing Osmer and, like, uh-huh. and uh, Addison's billion nouns. Yeah. Right, um, right. But this one, it, its approach to court politics was, uh, especially in comparison to that, so naive. Oh, yeah. Very juvenile. Yeah, like yeah, that's it's like true. there were like three people in the in the whole empire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah it you know it, it definitely hit some of the same notes, but it, but I made me think about how much more deft uh, Catherine Addison is. Well, yeah. I mean, this is like the it was like the primer, right? Well, and this is primer about versus that, the right. This isn't about court politics, right? That's just one but, um, sort of small element. But it one so one thing I really appreciate it, that it was making. I, I was thinking about that, so I'm glad you asked that, Brock. Because uh, one thing I did think about is that I love how Addison in the Goblin Emperor shows that like there's not just one person who controls all religion, right? Mm-hmm. Like a religion because it's kind of religion is in some ways inherently democratic because as long as you get enough people to kind of believe a thing, uh, they can often pass that off into the schemata of the religion. Um, like you can see, like in history, Catholicism has to deal with that. Like, uh Oh, well, Jan Hus now has like a million people believing his crap. Like, <laughs> like we have to deal with that, even though they're still Catholic, you know, they're right. a different type of Catholic. And oh, now there's like this Waldensian revolution going on, and they're Catholic, but they're not our Catholic. So, and so, well, and like that's the epistles, right? Oh, sure. You know, that's the purpose of those. Well, yeah, you can even see that in the the New Testament, right? Like Peter and yeah. Paul have a disagreement, and they settle it not by an actual conflict. They're they're kind of having this like proxy debate, <laughs> yeah. and so I really like that Addison does that with basically every wing of government. That it's not like, okay, your legislature feels this way, your religion feels this way, your emperor feels this way, this family that owns a guild feels this way. Mm -hmm. Within each of those, there are competing factions and ambitions and dynamics um, that compete against each other. And a wise emperor can reach into any one of those and kind of turn them against themselves to ideally achieve his or her aims. In this, there's like a high bishop dude. And it seems like he speaks for, like, just like the church. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, it's so straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, and that is kind of a, a, you know, a view of religion that is like, well, no, it wouldn't be like that in the future because it's never been like that. You know, there's never been a point where it's like, this is the one catholic universal faith and no one strays from it and everyone is mm-hmm. loyal to it like you know that just never has never happened yeah 
At least not for the amount of time that it's claiming this yeah. world is this Maybe people have existed. I mean, I wonder if we're almost seeing some of Scalzi in there because I, I don't, I don't follow him very closely, but I do get the sense that he kind of, and and correct me if I'm wrong, if you know anything about him, but that he has kind of this view that religion is a bit naive. Um, so like people wouldn't, because like, because like, religious scholars pretty much know that like when Christianity becomes part of the Roman state, they they know that there are abuses and power struggles going on. Like, even even faithful Catholic scholars, it's not like they don't know that. Yeah. Whereas in this universe, their their religion has apparently remained this opiate of the masses that's untainted and no one has thought to question it at any point. <laughs> right, save these, like, 11 emper- <laughs> emperoxes. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed... Well, anyway, I, I, I don't know. Um, same as you, I, I, you know, I don't know where Scalzi comes from, but but I do sort of get that impression of, just from reading this, of sort of a, um, a, a view of religion that is simplistic, maybe. Yeah. Well, it it felt like kind of a scornful outsider's view of religion that has a has some strong opinions about what religion is, without really having bothered to, to talk to a religious person or study religious history or you know probably besides being like nah they did the crusades it's bad right. <laughs> but I don't know maybe he's maybe he knows everything I, maybe he's maybe just writing a, good. I mean it's not a young adult novel so we can't pin the simplicity on that <laughs> <laughs> but he wanted to make a, a, a brisk clip lots of dialogue of people bullying each other into revealing information book and he did a great job of that mm-hmm. so I, and it, it is kind of unfair I don't want to criticize a book for what it isn't or isn't even trying to be um, but that but that Goblin Emperor parallel did crop up for me too Brock mm-hmm. well good glad I'm not the only one um, so my this is just kind of my last discussion point, and it, it ties in to that. Um, Count Claremont was afraid that his uh, his findings about the flow would be dubbed blasphemous, and that, and that struck me as such a strange word. The, for, I mean, for a lot of reasons, blasphemous does not mean the same thing as apostate, I guess. Or heretical. Or Yeah, heretical is better. Yeah. Or heterodox. Or unorthodox. Um, There's a lot of words sure. that can, that <laughs> I think, again, Scalzi as an outsider might not understand the dimensions yeah. of these words being used. <laughs> right. Um, and so, and I, but I don't and know I if thought, he's an outsider. Sorry, go ahead. I just was like, blasphemous. Why would it, you know, we... We have space travel, and you know we can live on asteroids and and planets without atmosphere. Like science is pretty well trusted. It would it would seem. Um, it just and you know they've lost a planet because the flow changed. It was just it was an odd odd choice of word and an odd concept. I thought. Yeah. Like, it is outside of the paradigm, right? Like, the, 
but but I don't consider that a religious paradigm for the, these people to not want the flow to change, so they're unwilling. Like it's a, it's a climate change metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. That that it's changing. Something has to be done. You have to take emergency action. But that people are not willing to listen because it's easier when you don't know what you can do when you're confronted with a difficult truth to just ignore it or become accustomed to it. Right. Um. So I feel like it's doing that. Like it's about. It's kind of about like the the state of things is going to be changed by a natural phenomenon. You've put it. It's put into motion, whether you, it's man-made or not. Um, now you have to react to it. And that's kind of what I was getting out of. It. I don't know if that was explicit on his point, but I, I felt I, I felt like it was a climate change metaphor. Um, <clears throat> but why would it be a blasphemy? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's kind of weird. Like it's uncomfortable and annoying and maybe political. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Is talking about the flow taking the name of their god and yeah, because that's I mean, or something. Because that was you know that was my first thought is like, well, they don't do they consider the flow divine then? Because it didn't seem like it. Yeah, no one ever said anything that I caught. They're like, do they pray to the flow naga? Right. Or in <laughs> in, uh, in the name of flow. Yeah. <laughs> By Flo's hammer, <laughs> you shall be avenged by the shoals. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get it either. I didn't understand why he used that particular word. Well, you know, I don't want to rag on Scalzi too much for uh, views about religion that I don't know he holds yeah. or not. I, uh, yeah, maybe there's a maybe there's a deeper level. When I figure, I'm not privy to. isn't that where you get the sense it's going to go? Though is that uh, is that Cardenia is going to use the religion um, to try to solve the problem, right? Yeah, that she's yeah. going to use her status as the head of the church to be like, oh, the flow told me to have a crusade to end. <laughs> you know, I mean, ostensibly she can do that. Yeah, she's going to have an exodus. If a pope can be like, oh, I saw in a vision, we got to wreck the Eastern Mediterranean. <laughs> Surely she can take over and. I didn't understand the space logistics of like one little troop ship of 10,000 Marines being able to hold the shoal on end forever. No, I, how? I was going like... Couldn't she send like a hundred ships, and like yeah. they run out of missiles and have to go refuel or something? <laughs> right, like... something. <laughs> also, I I think that sometimes there's just a just a tendency for space to to be written small. Yeah. When like, you know, the, the Douglas Adams like space is big. Yeah. <laughs> like, you will not believe how big it is. Like. How much ground can these ships cover? How small is the opening to, you know, to the flow? Uh, I mean, it, like the way it was pick, making me think of it when they said that that one little ship could like hold it, like King of the Hill style forever. Right. It made me picture like a worm's butthole, <laughs> like a little earthworm. And, and whenever ships pop out, they pop out in the same like one hundred square meter right. opening. 
So you just shoot crap at that for until yeah. it closes. You just have a laser that's always yeah. always firing. <laughs> but even then, you could send like one ship through that was just like a, abandoned, mm-hmm. and have it just like pop through and absorb the hits, and then you're like hiding behind the wrecks. I don't know. It just seems like yeah, Ender's Game style, right? Yeah, like free, think of a solution. One guy. You, you've got we'll admirals see. and space captains. What are they doing yeah. with their time? <laughs> Strategize. Well, I'm pretty sure that the villain will, you know, they'll come up with a plan like that, but within a page it will be solved like I know, that. Right? So. <laughs> so, okay, I will say this to Scalzi's credit. I, I feel like he did a good job of actually expressing the vastness of space. Like, uh, that prologue was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I loved that. that really I loved that prologue, and I was going, "Man, if this whole book is like this, like the mutiny, yeah, yeah. that mutiny, yeah, is I really incredible. liked that. What mm-hmm. a st- really cool. what a stinger! Mm-hmm. It really drew me in. Um, and and if the whole book had had even a tenth of how good and gripping that prologue was, I think the book would be worth it. I don't yeah. think it was, um, <laughs> but I liked that when the ship drops out of the flow, and mm-hmm. they're like. Crap, we're like 23 years to our destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we're functionally dead if we can't get back. Yeah, in. we're going to eat each other. <laughs> yeah. None of us want that. So that they all, so then they all right, like, work together. And, 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 and I feel like, like, oh yeah, we killed our engineer. Oops. <laughs> right. So I feel like Scalzi actually did a good job of expressing the vastness and the barrenness of space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't, I, the flow made no sense to me. Um, beyond, like, the, the broad conceit, right? Yeah. Like, I would almost expect, like, this natural thing to spit you out within, like, a certain range. That, that would be my assumption, too. Like an ocean, because they, they refer to it in almost oceanic terms, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a current doesn't necessarily wash you into the same dock. It, it might right. wash you onto the same coast. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do change. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Right, and th- and they talk about it in terms of like shoals and eddies and and things like that. So I got this naturalistic sense from it early on, but then later it's like, oh, so it just always pops out into the exact same. Like even though planets and stars are moving, because right, everything which is in a whole other thing. Right, because in space, like if you wanted to travel from here to Mars, it's not one point to another point; it's you traveling. <laughs> to a point that's you you go to where Mars will be when you arrive. Yeah, because yeah. it's moving in orbit. Right. And it's even worse when you're going to another star that may not be moving along the exact same plane as you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like it, like real stellar dynamics would be really complicated. Mm-hmm. So so these so these flow things are apparently bending in, with orbits, yeah, along with along with stars hurtling at thousands of kilometers per <laughs> second through space, and the right. flow is moving with that, and still spitting you out within a certain relation to planets, not even like the star it seemed. No, yeah, it was to like the directly where... to hub, like all of them went to hub or whatever. Yeah, it's not even like to the star. It yeah. felt like, and maybe that's yeah. not the case because, like, the gravity will be around the star, but it felt like really like. It all, just the way it was described was so vague. And they talked about like having you know those like messenger probe things. Oh yeah. That just sit at the at the shoal, and like that, you know, to my mind, it's like oh they're just 
functionally in orbit around this planet. You know, they're right, but if it's around a not far right, but if it's around a star's gravity, well, it can't be around the planet. It has to be at yeah, a Lagrange point around the star. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of yeah, like what is it orbiting? Because in mm-hmm. space, unless you're at a very specific point in an orbit, you're hurtling off into nowhere. Y- yeah. <laughs> so where are like if it's if the if the shoal I mean, we're picking apart the science of something that maybe wasn't ever <laughs> researched to bear this scrutiny. But, like, if this thing is just at some defined point at the edge of the gravity well of the star, there's no Lagrange point at which, like, an asteroid or a space station could squat there. Mm-hmm. Because those Lagrange points have to be at, like, very specific close-up, but not too close intervals. Am I, am I misremembering that he mentions that there are Lagrange points? Somewhere in the book? Uh, I didn't ever... I don't remember. I don't recall, because I, I feel like this is the first time I've ever heard that term. Oh, really? Are you looking it up right yeah. now? I heard your keyboard clicking. No, that was uh, uh, that was uh, my vape. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the reflection of Wikipedia in your glasses. <laughs> Are you looking... No, I just... I already know that in celestial mechanics, Lagrangian points are the points near two large bodies in orbit where a smaller object will maintain its position relative to the large orbiting bodies. <laughs> yeah. Well, so right. So I'm glad you. I'm so glad wait, you read that for the, us. Were all the places that they that humanity was? I mean, were there any space stations, or they really were on like rocks? Well, I would imagine like. I mean, he's not going to sit there and tell us about, like, ah, the Lagrange point for this station, ah, at these coordinates, you know, 30 degrees, 29 minutes. But, um, but I'm not sure. We see so little of the universe. Yeah. We see two locations, right? Like, like we see... And then um, there's mentions of, We like see Hub and End. Other planets Yeah, like, they mentioned Dallas Sisla, uh, the planet that disappeared. Um, right. And they... They mention the home world of Nohama Ding Dongs, <laughs> but they don't. They don't go into a ton of detail about most stuff, um, which again is fine. This this isn't actually like hard science fiction. Obviously, this no, is it's space quite opera. Quite obviously not. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely more about the intrigue and um, you know these these plots and assassinations and things. Yeah, but. I, yeah, I. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, even if that's what it's about, it just felt so like everything was so not complex at all, because the problems were solved immediately. There's no. I mean, I never felt like any of the main characters were actually in danger. Yeah. Of like being killed off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whereas. Like in the Goblin Emperor, which was a, which was mostly about court intrigues, you know, and not about space opera, st- whatever, whatever. Do you know? You know what I'm saying? But were you worried there that were... Maya would be killed? Well, I mean, I felt it was possible that he would get like maimed at least, or like yeah. tortured. I feel like the 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 risk in that book wasn't necessarily like. I mean, it wasn't death, obviously, because the book would end. Right. But um, <laughs> but the risk was that he wouldn't be a good emperor. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I think that book derives its its struggle. 
Yeah, but I still felt the villains were like actual villains. Like well, I was time, though, nervous of them. You might, rem- but remember, was we, I? We made no, 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 oh. no, no. no. I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that at the time, remember, we made a little bit of fun about like the coup that leaves <laughs> one of his guards alive and and was pretty polite. Yeah, and <laughs> like, like, oh, like yeah. you're going to retire to a monastery. <laughs> I mean, now we're spoiling a different book, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, no. but like we did make fun of those conspirators but I do feel like those conspirators at least had um, had some oomph behind them yeah they were a little punchy I mean this yeah I mean the villains in this book I was just kind of like yeah I'm not scared of you at all like in any way <laughs> it, it's not useful when like the 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 one chapter that you get from the villain's point of view when it switches to whatever his name was Granny um, yeah. On end. Yeah, on end. It was like, man, he's boned this up, and yeah. it just like lists his failures. <laughs> and I'm going, oh yeah, why should we be scared of you? Yeah. How is this guy ever going to be successful in life? How was he successful in life? How did he even get here? <laughs> <laughs> Family money. Old money. I don't know. Was it a critique of that? I don't. Not really. I I don't know because I get the sense that the no the no ding dongs the no that they're meant to be like long term villains, and I'm just so like at this point if I were engaged in a game of shadows with them, they would defeat me because I would overlook them as so <laughs> inconsequential and incompetent <laughs> that I would just assume there's nothing they could do and they would shoot me. But right. but the way they would beat me is by walking into my office and shooting me in the face and saying like, oh no, that was some other asshole. <laughs> like that, that was his whole plan that actually worked. Right. And there's no like forensics. Okay. Because so like, his plant because he he puts uh, the Count of Claremont's fingerprints on the gun, and I'm going like, okay, even modern forensics as a and this is like 1500 years into the future, even modern <laughs> forensics can look at fingerprints on a gun and tell if the like how hard it the was guy was gripping gripped. it, yeah, or like if the yeah. recoil smeared the fingerprints as he was gripping it, <laughs> yeah. or whether like it looks like man, this fingerprint looks like it was planted on the internal <laughs> workings of the gun as opposed to this guy put it there while cleaning it. Like if we can right. do that now, 50 years ago. <laughs> when people were like, wow, fingerprints exist! <laughs> and one of the first uses of that knowledge is to figure out who shot someone in the face. <laughs> in 1,500 years, they've forgotten this? Yeah. It was just so laughable. And the Duke just happens to not like to have cameras in his private office or whatever. <laughs> right. Convenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again... It's kind of like one of those low-tech, high-tech worlds Mm -hmm. where apparently there aren't just, like, drones fighting your wars for you. So we shouldn't be, and people don't have implants all the time. Like, anything we would expect from that future. It's not here. It's not here, so it's not fair to judge it on those merits. But still, it kind of pulls me out of it when they can't even replicate, like, forensic techniques we have now Mm -hmm. like what chumps these imperial marines (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So that's well, uh, my opinion of uh, <laughs> The Collapsing <laughs> Empire by John Scalzi. If you buy it with the code that we have, we'll get a kickback. Just kidding, we don't. But that would be funny if we gave it this <laughs> this kind of recommendation and then had uh, some marketing money for it. <laughs> Oh boy! We're not affiliated in any way. <laughs> yeah, we'll sing a different tune for a little of that sweet, sweet cheddar. <laughs> you know what? Okay, can I ask a question? No. Please do. Oh, okay. All right. So now that we've read a bunch of the Hugo Slate, uh, how do you? Th- and I feel like the winner uh, of last year's Hugos was a great book, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. N.K. Jemison's. The Stone Sky. Yep. But now that we've read some other ones, how do we feel about last year's Hugo nominees? So last year, was that Six Wakes? Yes. Yeah. And this book. And this one was one. Yeah. Um, Hang on, I need to see if my next pick... Are you going to pull it up, Brock? Why don't you read? I I need to see if it was nominated last year. Why don't you read to us the Hugo nominations for 2018? Let's no, he's see. looking up his book. Um, but I can also... So here they are. So here's five. So oh, okay. The Collapsing Empire, which is what we're talking about now for those who have like totally zoned out. <laughs> uh, the Stone don't Sky by N.K. Jemison, which one? Um, New York 2140, which I didn't read. Uh, Providence by N. Leckie and Six Wakes. Those were the novel. Yeah, those were the novel nominees. Nominees. Yeah, I mean, from I, I, from what we've read, uh, it's you know, it's a low hit rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me maybe less confident about those other two nominees from last year. Right. I thought there was one more, but I thought it was a sequel. Oh, there, the Raven Stratagem by Yoon Ha Lee, but that was a sequel, so we didn't read it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, wow. Yeah, some Hugo nominees. <laughs> so, you know, there there was a there was a point where uh, I. I you know, after six weeks, and uh, we read—I mean, we've only read ten books—but there was a point it, during six weeks, and then sort of during, uh, maybe during the beginning of a Darkling Sea, where I was just like, "Is it—is it possible to write a good book? Is it, are we ever going to read something that's good?" <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You know, I just started to flounder for maybe like, maybe like. 10, 20 pages. Uh, and, you know, and then the Darkling Sea picks up and, uh, you know, we've read good stuff and, but it was, it was a, it was a moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is anything good? Is anyone capable? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> got up our game. Oh boy. <laughs> Hmm. 
Well, Brock, I, uh, I'm afraid I don't know the name of our next um, book choice, but it is, it's your choice. Can you tell us it's, what it is? Yes, it's me this month. Uh, it is a book called Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. Cool. I have begun reading it. I have too. And I like it. I I agree. Cool. And I I know I didn't read any uh, any blurb or anything about it, so I, there have been already some pleasant surprises. Nice. Yeah. I'm excited to start reading it. It looks interesting. Yes. All right. So if anyone wants to join us in reading that or submit any questions, if you want us to discuss them, you know where we are. We're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> space biff book space at gmail.com all right okay bye thanks <laughs> see you guys